0: All right, so the last, we ended on a kind of a scary note as we were talking about security. Um, did, were there any, any other issues about the security? One thing, uh, somebody asked, and if you will remind me, I'm going to show you behind the scenes of a website here in a little bit. So if you'll remind me about the plugins to, to show you the security plugins, I'll be happy to do that. Okay, so we've got our domain name chosen, we've registered it, we have a hosting account, it's set up, WordPress is set up, security is taken care of, we talked about a theme, right? The need for a theme as being something separate from WordPress, the software. All right going to talk about design considerations and these are a a number of things that you need to have in mind as you start building the site itself now when I'm talking about building the site now I'm talking about uh, the content that you add the things that you're going to change on the theme hopefully the theme that you've chosen has some some customizing options And so these are things that you're going to need to to think about number one Try to be current This is current best practices are something that change very regularly What worked what looked really really good in 2000 on a website? Looks like the year 2000 now and just in case you forgot to check your calendar this morning. We're in 2015 so websites designed in 2015 should not look like they were designed in the year 2000 because users expectations have changed dramatically and one of the things that you're going to see as you look at sites one of the things you can do is look at websites that are designed by uh, companies that are in the information technology Uh, Internet technology sectors, you will see some of the things that people are starting to expect. I was mentioning the uh, website that Rike has. The company is W-R-I-K-E. It's Rike.com. And you can look at their website. It's mostly grays, black, white, and gray, which is kind of an unusual. You know, we used to think you want all kinds of color and everything. Uh, The more subdued colors are just fine. And we're now seeing wide pages you know where the where the images and the text and so on go from margin to margin and are in smaller chunks and it it's common now to see a very long first page the front main page may be uh, you know what we used to maybe split between six or seven pages so the design best practices are changing and if you are stuck in 2015 or even worse 1995 um, your users are going to judge you and your business based on that like I said earlier it's not fair but unfortunately given the the way we're bombarded with so much information your visitors have to have some kind of filter to tell whether your site is worth their attention. And one of the things they're going to do is is they're going to mentally be comparing it to other websites that that they're familiar with. If yours does not match up favorably, they're going to go away. Yes, but, I'm going to qualify that. There are design factors, and I wish I had a, a site to show you as a bad example, but... I didn't have time to find one. But we've all seen them where the page is split, where there's a, it's three columns, the old three column format. It's very, very, very popular, uh, I don't know, the late 90s, early 2000s. You had the, the narrow left hand column, a wider block of text, and then another column over here on the side. And you still will see those, but it's kind of an old style. It also tends to clutter the page. Let me show you. Let's just go and take a look at Reich's page so that you can have a sense of what I'm talking about. All right. You can see there's a, an image here that takes up the whole screen. This is called a hero image. So if you, you ever run across the term hero image, now you know what it is. Uh, we've we've retained some language from the old print days this line right here we still call the fold everything above it is above the fold things that are below this first screen we call below the fold and you'll notice that there's there's an image there with a little bit of text and I'm I see that this is not actually gray, there's some blues and browns in there, but it's very subdued compared to some of the stuff you see. So they have a, a page here with, you know, it's work management, project management, and you can enter in your email address and get started with a free account. If you scroll down, let's try this, you get what's known as a slider or a carousel, where you can click here and see different, different uh, factors, elements about the software. By the way, I would avoid, there's a, a common design thing right now is to put the sliders up here and above the fold. And you'll see the they auto, it's kind of an auto play so that when you land on this page, you know it might look like this and then these scroll often about that fast and pretty soon you're wanting to scream because you don't there was one of those that you wanted to to read a little bit more so even though designers love these these uh, carousels or sliders you should not use it above the fold it's just Considered not best practices anymore. Other, than, there's no reason for rankings or anything, just for uh, user satisfaction for the user experience. F O L D like a folded newspaper. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of weird, but Where is it again? right right here at the bottom of that first screen. Now you can see the fold has moved up, and now I'm I'm below the fold and we don't we don't do any distinguishing beyond that typically it's just above the fold and below the fold. And then this is this three column thing with an icon and and a little bit of information very common you'll see now in contemporary websites. There's a video there that you could watch. Some features. There's a call to action right there where you can get the app for your phone, an offer for a free book. This is also a a slider. If you see down here, every one of those dots indicates there's another slide. And so you can just look at all those free eBooks they're offering. And when you click on that, it'll take you to a page where it's going to ask you for your email address, and it will automatically track which book you were asking for and send you a link for it it's a call to action mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that you've got calls to action on your website and it can be very simple is get the app download the free ebook. these are the things that these are the things that are your most desired actions remember we talked very early on about what are your most desired actions for the website for me one of the biggest things that I want for, from a website, I want it to inform my, my visitor and I want to capture their name because once I have their name on my list, that's money in the bank and it is for you as well, regardless of whether you're selling mandarins or whether you are selling a homeschool course or anything else. You want to build your list and we'll go into more detail in that in a minute. And then down here, this is the footer area. And there's a lot of information in here now that used to be, you used to find that over here in the right-hand sidebar in those old three column things. So, this is, this is just kind of a, a quick view of, of what contemporary web design is looking at like. Now, back to your question, there is no reason why you can't do this type of design with pictures of old barns and, and barn wood and, and that type of thing. Your images are going to be what you use to give it that old feel, uh, not design considerations. Because if you noticed as I scrolled through there, the text was chunked. It's very easy to scan through that. You have large headlines, large sub-headlines. You can get through it quickly. Uh, you don't need to... When, when somebody sees a block of dense text, paragraphs, you know, four or five lines, they don't want to read that on the screen. And and it's getting worse. Yeah. As we spend so much time online, uh, we're finding that studies are showing that brains are changing, and we do not sit and read on, on the screen. We do not sit and read like we used to. Now, if you... I'm finding too that I have a little hard time with reading print now and it's kind of a because I've spent so much time now and for me that's a kind of a big deal because I've got something like 5,000 books in my house and and I've always been a, a bookworm but it's changed I spend so much time on the internet it's changed my the way I read a bit those who are growing up as digital natives those who are growing up with these devices and so much exposure to the internet and so on, they're also finding that the brains are wired differently now than they were uh, years ago. So rather than sitting there and thinking it's not the way it ought to be, of course it's not the way it ought to be, but it's the way it is and we have to work with, with what our visitors are experiencing and make it work for them. Alright. So we've seen that website. Let's... Okay. Mobile friendly. And when I talk about mobile friendly, I'm talking about these little devices. Mobile friendly is a term that you need to get familiar with. It means a certain specific set of things that Google says it means. And it's not an option. 50% Or more of all search activity done online is done through a smartphone not a iPad not a laptop not a desktop but one of these and how many of you how many of you have ever looked at a website on a on a smartphone most of you seen seen them this year earlier this year we had an event that everybody dubbed mobile getting where Google said any site that is not mobile friendly, according to our rules, will not get, it's going to suffer in the search rankings, search positioning. And they have a very specific set of things that they are they are looking for. And one of the main things is a mobile responsive theme. And so when you are looking at themes for your uh, WordPress site make sure that it's mobile responsive now what I mean by that is that when somebody looks at it on a smartphone they don't have to go scroll sideways to try to see the whole width of the page the whole page is resized and reformatted to fit in that little tiny piece of real estate it's not shrunk down It's it's actually reformatted so that this phone sees, you know, as you're looking through there, you see type that you can actually read, not have to have a little microscope to see these little tiny specks of dust on the screen. And then you need to test it. Not all themes that claim to be mobile responsive actually are, so you want to check it out and Google has a tool, a little place. All you have to do is Google, um, Google test mobile friendly, something of that nature, and, and it'll pop up. There's a link that you can enter in your website, and it will tell you how you score on the mobile friendly thing. This is where page load speed is really important. You want to make sure that the images that you put in are optimized for a uh, for the web and I'm going to say the easiest way to figure that out is go to Google and type in how do I optimize photos for my website or something of that nature because there are many different tools and many different ways to go about doing it but your images when you shoot a picture and take it from your camera and load it right to the website get chances are that your photo is about four times too big and yet the website tries to send the entire file. So you may be loading a, a picture that's, that's four times too big. It takes four times as long to load, and mobile users particularly don't have a whole lot of patience for that. They are out of there very, very quickly. So Google has a, a tool to test your page load speed, and you wanna make sure that you're getting your images particularly Uh, reformatted so that they don't slow it down. There's also some other things that you can run into but they don't typically cause a problem except when you have a developer that's working on a website for you and has a lot of JavaScript other little things that bells and whistles that they've put in those can often slow down the site. If you're using just a basic WordPress you're probably okay um, but it is something that you want to watch because it's a critical component of being mobile friendly this is not required but I would suggest strongly that you find a a theme that allows you to put a click-to-call button in there because many smartphone users when they are searching they're ready to take some kind of action they either want to go to a place it's very common you know family nutrition center I want to know where it is. Know we were doing a search yesterday. Where is it? What are their hours? How do we get there? We were ready to take action. So if you have that click to call button on there, the smartphone user, when they load the website, all they have to do is click the button, phone starts ringing, and hopefully it's your phone. There are some things. Oh, this one. Automated mobile pages project. AMP yes Two different things are you guys familiar with what he's talking about you've searched for for a local business And up here in the right hand corner, you'll see a map Sometimes there's a picture of the business sometimes there's uh, usually there's some other kind of information in there uh, very common with local searches this is starting to get into a little advanced search engine optimization, and, but uh, since you asked, we'll... we'll You're going cover it No, I, had, I didn't have it in there. Uh, but it's, Google pulls that information out of information it knows about your business. And one of the best things that you can do is claim your Google Places listing and make sure it's optimized. And there are very specific things that you need to do to it but if you've claimed your Google, every business gets this Google Places listing and, and it's just like uh, uh, Google has a place where, where I can go leave reviews about your business, whether you know it's there or not. And then other people are going to see it when they search, whether you know it's there or not. If you claim that listing, you go in and say, yes, this is my, Hillside Farms is my business and this is my listing. And they have a little way of verifying it, and you can make sure that your name, address, and phone number and all of that is precisely correct and precisely the same as it is on everywhere else that you have control over. And then that shows up, and you can optimize it, like I said, just to some of the information that's in there. It's going to show it, most likely, whether you've done this or not, but unless you've claimed it, number one, you can't respond to reviews if you haven't claimed it, so... I can go on your on there and say all kinds of bad things about you, and you can't do anything about it. If you've claimed it, then you can respond to the reviews. Also, you can do the optimization to make sure that the information that I see is, is what you had in mind. Um, the other one, did you catch what he was asking about the other one? You'll see a listing sometimes, and then underneath it, you'll see f- uh, four to six subheadings that that will be either departments within the business or some kind of subcategory in the business. This one's a little trickier. You can do things to make it more likely that those are going to show up. They're called rich snippets. You can, you can set up your site so that it's more likely, but you can't actually force Google to show those. The last I checked. Now, Google may have changed something this morning that I haven't had a chance to catch up on because they do this. <laughs> I spend... <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I was saying earlier. You can't just create a page and then walk away from it. Well, I subscribe to 14 newsletters. And I spend about an hour every day. Their email, email newsletter, well, one of them is from Google and others are from industry uh, people that that follow it very closely and have close connections with people within Google and and they run there are uh, people that run a number of websites and they watch the analytics and track things very closely It, it makes a huge difference and so you're going to see we're going to cover basic stuff there are basic things you can do but Google can change things overnight Usually, we have a little bit of warning. Once in a while, we don't. But um, the the things that you can do for uh, the rich snippets in the search results, you use a markup language called schema. So if you're interested in learning about those, you can go to schema.org, S-C-H-E-M-A dot O-R-G, and you can learn about how to... Uh, how to set up those snippets within your site, and it increases the chance that Google's going to actually display them but it 's a kind of an advanced i mean it 's not it 's advanced not because it 's hard to do but because there's so many other things that you could do that would make a huge difference. This is a nice thing it helps with click through rates people see it and they 'll click through, and more often they 'll go. With, when you have those types of, of snippets showing in the search listing people will actually end up where they want to go rather than landing on your homepage and then trying to hunt and peck and find where they're supposed to be so pardon yes well Amy and Amy's working on it um, I Amy's my content team leader she's she's a writer and she's working on the same certification that I've got the SEO copywriter certification and this is all part of that training and we're actually working on blending our SEO and content departments a little bit more because as you'll see here in a few minutes content and SEO have a very very close relationship and and it's become more and more important that they work together so she knows about it, but some of the technical applications not yet. AMP. This is going to be a game changer if it actually rolls out to the rest of the world. Right now, as far as we know, it's only on some news sites. But how to say this in uh, without getting too technical? it's going to change the way mobile devices see how google sends information to mobile devices and what's going to happen is google is going to send a completely different page to a smartphone than what it sends to a desktop or a laptop the only thing is is that google's not going to create the page you have to create the page it uses a completely different language called AMP HTML, which probably is more information than you want to know. But uh, your website is going to have to have this capacity if they roll this out. Because here's what's going to happen. They roll this out to the entire web. And I'm searching on my iPhone for Hillside Farms. And if you aren't AMP compliant, guess what? You're not even going to show up in my mobile search results. You could be number one page one for desktop searches and not get anything for mobile as far as we understand it now I'm gonna to have to qualify that because this is being recorded and by next week who knows what's actually going to be but it looks like based on what we know right now this is what's going to happen if you are not AMP compliant you site will not show up in mobile search results and remember what did I say 50 percent of all searches are done on smartphones now that's a significant amount of traffic now that's scary but on the other hand it's good news because I can tell you that at least 50 percent of the people with websites out there don't even know that well it's probably more like 80 percent of the people with websites don't even know this exists yet you know it so now you can beat your competitors by one very simple little fix you have a wordpress site remember this is one of the reasons I told you you need to just forget about most everything else and stick with wordpress there's a plug-in remember I told you what the plugins were the little little chunks of software that can plug into the wordpress engine and extend its capabilities there's a plug-in that's AMP compliant, makes your site compliant, and it serves out, sends out those pages in that format. And one of the things that it's, it's going to be really great for mobile users, as far as I understand it, because the whole format's going to be different, and the page is going to load like lightning, and the information is streamlined, very much streamlined. A lot of the extraneous stuff is stripped out of it. So instead of sitting there waiting da, 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 waiting for the page to load it's going to be right there. And so you have people that like to scream at the microwave to hurry up. They're going to love this because it's going to load really fast. Automated mobile pages. So this is all specifically for mobile phones. This is very yes. Yes. And this is what's going to if like I said if it's not compliant it won't show up in any search that's done On a mobile phone so significant Uh, yes I haven't actually had a chance to plug it in yet and play with it but my understanding is that once it's plugged in there may be a few settings that you have to tinker with often with with plugins there is something you have to tinker with just a little bit but once the settings are set it will automatically create the page in the appropriate format automated mobile pages all right, so this one's an easy one, but it's something that you're definitely going to have to do. How does a plug-in work? It's, I'll show you in a minute what, what they look like, but it's just something that extends the capabilities of the original WordPress engine. And it's like, a, it's like adding a feature. Somebody says, huh, WordPress doesn't do what I want it to do, so they write this little plug-in set of scripts and load it in there, tell it to play nice with, with WordPress, and then now WordPress has that new feature. So it, it's a way of, of expanding, but at the same time, you don't have to, you know, like a lot of Microsoft products where you, you have to take what they give you and it, it becomes very bloated uh, and resource hogs. You can pick and choose which of those features you want on your WordPress site. So it's, it's kind of nice. OK, some things to avoid real quick, and most of these I shouldn't have to tell you, but I'm going to do it anyway. You guys remember when you'd click on a web page and there's this little flash movie that wants to play or some little animation that wants to play, and you can't find the place to click to get away from it just to go find the address of the place you wanted to go find? Don't do that, please there are people still creating those types of pages even though the rest of the world hates them for it don't do it in fact don't do any media that plays automatically of any kind if you have a welcome video on your website please do not make it autoplay Um, that's one of the most irritating things Actually, the most irritating thing is when you log on to when you go to somebody's website and there's music that starts playing. That's got to be the most annoying thing, and it's a carryover from the 1990s uh, when when we discovered that this capability existed. And all of a sudden, everybody's website you'd you'd load it up and you'd hear the Jeopardy theme or something else playing, and you you know, you just that's why I don't have any hair. Cluttered pages. Did you notice that the Reich website that I showed you didn't have a lot of clutter? Not a lot of dense text. You could tell where your eyes were supposed to look. You want that same kind of clean, uncluttered, easy to scan feeling on your website. And just as a little aside, whether you're interested, uh, when there have been a lot of eye tracking studies, Done. And if you're interested, you can get software, you can, you can have people you know, do this kind of test on your website. But they show that when somebody hits a website, the eye is immediately drawn to this area right here. And it, it varies depending on the site, but maybe about a third of the page, that quadrant there, that's where the eye immediately goes to. Then it goes over into this area somewhat, and not too much down here. Your best design is some kind of an L-shape, often. But remember, the eye goes here and then here. So work with that. Try not to, in other words, don't have a big blank space right here and all of your text over here. All right. Any questions about building the site? the hosting, the domain name, WordPress, any of that, because we're ready to move to the next. To check the domain name, I use uh, Namecheap, N-A-M-E-C-H-E-A-P.com. They're the registrar. Any website uh, or any um, site that has a whois lookup will do that, and that's just you guys don't really need to know that, I guess, unless you want to find out who owns a domain, you can go to uh, any, you can Google Whois Lookup, and Whois is is one word, W-H-O-I-S, and then enter the domain name, and it'll tell you where it's registered and and some other information about it. So I've got something in my notes that obviously didn't make it to the slide. Can you see the importance of planning your site before you actually start building pages? Okay. It's before you start anything, even if you have a website already, before you start changing things, have it sketched out, plan it out. Make yourself a little little, uh, map of what you want it to look like because once you start getting into here, it's easy to get distracted and forget what it was you had planned. And you can lose continuity. So plan it out ahead of time as much as you can. We're into the system, systematic part of this. this is Now we're starting to get into the area that that is going to be kind of a, a systematic loop. We're going to take action, observe the results, analyze it, get the feedback, and change behavior accordingly. So... The first thing that we want to cover is content, and content is anything that you put on your website. It can be a video, it can be text, it can be audio. Um, see what else could it be, images, photographs, artwork, you know, any, any content that you are putting on there for the benefit of your visitors. Content is king. This is what makes or breaks your website in the long run. Um, You will hear people saying things like search engine optimization is dead. It's not. It has just shifted to where content is the primary thing. If you ignore all of the technical things that I'm going to be telling you a little bit later, and you focus on providing content that meets the needs of your visitors, you will be far ahead of the game. So if there's only one thing that you can do, your content is where you need to pay attention and put most of your resources. The rest of it is stacking the deck in your favor, but this is the one thing you have to do, because if you don't you just aren't going to get the results that you want. So there's some requirements that you need to keep in mind. Your content needs to be fresh. Now, it is not true, as somebody assured me yesterday, somebody assured me yesterday that the, uh, the reason you wanted to always have fresh content was because Google uh, always showed the most recent content at the top of its search results. It's not true. <laughs> but Google likes to see that you have fresh content and that it's showing up regularly. Now if you haven't been putting anything on your site and all of a sudden you put 20 pages on there tomorrow, uh, you don't really want to do that. You want to do it a little more gradually, a little more consistently than that. Uh, And There really isn't a set time frame that I can give you I can't say you need to put up a new page every day or every two days Uh, but you need to have continual content being added to the the site yeah there while there may be occasionally reasons to remove a page most of the time if you have been planning your site properly you won't need to remove a page but Content doesn't just have to be a page. I I keep saying pages, and I need to qualify that. It doesn't have to be a page. It could be a blog post. It could be adding a photo. Um, I tend to talk in terms of pages because the commercial clients that I work with are using content marketing strategies where they're going... Remember we talked about the long-tail keywords? They're identifying... Their search marketing team is identifying those long tail keywords and then they say Dave we need you to write an article a page based on this phrase that answers this question and so I write write it based on that and then it gets posted and now that's fresh new content and the next time Google crawls through the website they see it by the way um, I've, I've alluded to this a couple of times but I should probably tell you specifically Google has a piece of software we call it a spider or a robot and it crawls through your website and looks at the the technical things particularly that we'll be talking about a little bit later and determine this is how your site kind of gets scored uh, determines where that that's going to be placed in response to certain searches so this is how Google knows. They've got software that's out there, little spiders. Think of it like a nest of spiders. They're continually crawling through the web looking for information. Their front page, their front page does not change much. Inside, what, what I think of as inside the site, they have a blog, and so they have regular content that they're posting to the blog. That's fresh content. So the whole site doesn't need to change, but something on the site should be getting improved or added to or... Yeah. In those navigational links across the top of the page, yes. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about changes and fresh content, it doesn't mean that the entire website has to be remodeled every week. It can be as simple as having a blog that where you're posting... Remember I talked about the curated content earlier? Sharing links from other places you found. What you're adding to your website does not have to be sales material. It can be information. In fact, it should be informative. Think in terms of, of your site visitor. When they pick up their device or sit down at their computer and they open up Google, they, want, they have a burning question. And depending on how badly it hurts, it's more urgent some are more urgent than others when they are searching for something that you can provide, you want them to find you, and when they find you, you want what they land on to be the answer exact answer to what they were looking for and It may be a very short blog post it may be an entire web page, uh, you know maybe two thousand word article. You have to kind of get inside your visitor 's head and have a clue of. What are they looking for? What's going to meet their need? What's going to answer their burning question? And when they do that, when they find it, and they like it, and they share it, or they respond to it, Google sees all these things happening and says, aha, your web page is relevant and makes a difference. And uh, that's the, the next thing after talking about unique. Now, I said use curated content but your entire website should not be curated content because Google looks for duplicate content out there. You're okay if it's not all of your website and if you are linking back to the original source you're alright, but Google needs to look at your website And see unique content that it's not going to find anywhere else and I don't mean that that you show three ways to peel a pomegranate and nobody else is showing it how that's not what I'm meaning by by unique I'm meaning that if you want to put up a post in your blog or a video on how to peel a pomegranate it should be your words it should be your process. It doesn't matter so much if it's the same process, but Google needs to look at it and not say, aha, that's the word for word what's over here. So, uh, my best knowledge on this is that Google looks at things in, in shingles, it calls them shingles for whatever reason, of about six words. So, you know, if you have. If you have a page that has a lot of segments of six words that have been lifted from somewhere else, Google's Google's going to say, ah, duplicate content. Um, this page isn't very unique, and therefore it doesn't deserve a very high score. There's not a negative penalty at this time for duplicate content. There are some things that you can get a you can get shoved down. You know, Google will actually step on your site and push it push it down in the ratings. If you do some certain things and we'll talk about those but duplicate content is not one of those it just does it just will look at the page and say yeah it's not unique so they don't need to see it have you ever noticed when you are searching at the bottom of a page Google will say in order to show you completely unique results we have not included some listings you know it's kind of in in medium-sized text at the bottom of the page those And if you click on there you get more pages those are all duplicate content so if you don't want your page to end up in that little graveyard there in the bottom try to keep from having too much duplicate content relevant this is probably I don't know they're all important but this one's critical relevance did it answer what they were searching for? Now, we talked earlier and we were talking about the keyword analysis, the, looking at the keyword planning tool. What was the term? Organic fruits and vegetables that had so many searches. If I type in organic fruits and vegetables, for one thing, it's my fault for being too vague in what I'm asking. But Google doesn't know for sure what to give it, so it's going to give a diversity. Uh, there's a A query like that, they have this concept called query deserves diversity or requires diversity because they don't know. So they're going to give you a mix of organic fruits and vegetables techniques, farming techniques. They're going to add in something about why you should eat organic fruits and vegetables. They're going to give you a result about why organic fruits and vegetables are not worth their cost. Um, It's going to give you a mix because it doesn't know for sure what what you're asking for. But if I wanted to know about how to grow organic fruits and vegetables, and I can't find it in there, or I see your page, and I click on it, and it turns out that it's, it's uh, talking about why I shouldn't buy them. Well, that's not relevant to what I had in mind, and so I, I leave real quickly. Google sees all that and says, huh, that page is not so relevant anymore you know, for this type of query. It has to answer the burning question that the person had in mind when they opened up Google in the first place. So you have to become a mind reader and also have a little bit of a clue of how Google tries to determine what, what results to give that person who's searching. Uh, it's a another reason to avoid those broad match keywords where it's impossible to tell what the intent is behind the search. If Google looks at at your page and how people interact with the page and says, huh, it's not relevant, then it's it's not going to get a good position in search results. Any questions about, about these three elements? Unfortunately, it's a little bit vague on how you actually make fresh, unique, and relevant content, because the answer to how you do it is it depends. It all depends on your market, who you're targeting, and how well you understand the market that you're targeting. Uh, and just to take a little side trip on that, if here's how search behavior typically works. You start out with that broad match. And you see some, some variety in there. And you say, aha, this one way down here, that's what I was after. And so you click on that, and as you're looking at that, maybe you see, oh, that's the word that, that that means. So now you go back to the search box, and you add in that word. And now Google says, aha, now I have a clue, a little bit better idea what she's after. And so you get a different, completely different set. And you may also, you know, I was talking about how previous searches will influence the results that you get on your next search. And so you, you start refining it as you go along. So this is why you, why you don't really want to get try to compete for those keywords to get thousands and thousands of searches, they're too broad. Yeah, pretty soon you've ordered 10 books instead of the one you started out just to see what the reviews were like. <laughs> so are those, uh... I'm not going to bother with cookies too much because they, are, they aren't really relevant for what we're talking about. They, they're more in, involved with e-commerce where you are making direct sales off of your site uh, and it's a fairly advanced thing as well. Uh, no, they don't use it's not cookie driven, it's it's based on their observation and their their tracking of you and your search behavior. So because of that. Now there's there's only one way that I know of and I was going to get the link at lunchtime and I forgot to do it. So you'll just have to find it when you get your AdWords um, when you get your AdWords account. Inside there, there is a place, and I'll I'll include it in my when I email out the resources and and notes. There's a place where you can go, click on that link, and it will show you as close as possible, not personalized results. Um, it's it's not pers- it, it strips out all the personalized results, but it doesn't account for the fact that the results he gets are going to be different from the results she gets and from what he gets. It's going to be unbiased, you know, unfiltered results. It's about the best you can do. So I'll include that, a link to where to find that within your AdWords account. Um, but that's the best you can do to figure out how everybody else is going to see it because even when you even the the ways that you can strip the personalized results google still returns the results based on location it means that you're one of that percentage that google gets every day that's absolutely unique and they have no clue what to do with you once in a while, there's, there's still stuff out there that, that hasn't been indexed, at least. At least Google hasn't found it. Most often, I think it's, it's a fact that they don't understand what you're asking for. And so, am I too vague or? either you're too vague or you're too specific. For me, it seems the problem when I run into it, it seems that I'm too specific and and maybe my understanding of of the specific term is not quite right you see the title of this book The the art of seo it's not the science search engine optimization it's it's google it's not a science so google is a collection of algorithms uh software that is analyzing it's uh you know the machine Language learning the it's learning as it moves through it's people who are reviewing sites the, as the spider is crawling through it will often flag sites for manual review and so Google has people that go and look at it 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 means software going and through going through and looking at your looking at your mm-hmm. and and in a minute we'll look at what what the spider is looking for it's 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 just software that's looking for certain things on the site so that it can make a judgment about your site so it's and even at that, nobody knows for sure what Google is because I'm not sure that Google even knows sometimes, but they're so fast in in the information that they're collecting. Um, it's mind boggling Ah. It did make it in there. Plan the structure of your content before you start creating it. And part of that is knowing what what do you want to have happen when somebody actually looks at your content. Every piece of content should have a purpose, even if it's only to make you feel good that it's up there. At least be honest with yourself that, you're, that that's the reason you're putting it there. Plan your content structure before creating it. And that's you know, Plan out. What's the purpose of the page? What's the purpose of the blog post? What do I want to have happen when somebody reads this? And then it'll help you once you start actually creating the content. Okay. Types of content. Web pages. You've all seen the web pages. It's just a file that shows up there on the screen with information. It should, a web page should be very specific, it should, other than the main page, any page beyond that should answer a specific question. Don't try to cover soil pests, diseases, and natural hazards all in one page of your gardening, how to be a gardener website. Split these out. In fact, if you're going to talk about how to handle pests, split out that stuff so that you have a page for cutworms and you have a page for aphids and you have a page. In fact, you might have two pages for aphids, uh, but you should have very specific information on that page because remember we talked about the long tail keywords thing and in a minute we're going to talk about optimization and you'll see a little bit more about why, why that's important. And that, that one page, one concept is we call it a, to, we're siloing. You're putting the content in a silo. You know, like a grain silo. It's got walls around it. One thing. Blog posts. Blog posts are usually something that is uh, information, news, an event, an opinion, uh, something that doesn't necessarily fit real well in a page, standalone page. It's a nice format for, for talking about the harvest was really good this year, or we're expecting to uh, not have any very many mandarins this year because we've had a freeze in January just as they were getting ready to start ripening. Um, it may be a place to share recipes. Maybe every week you share a recipe about uh, something, You know, another way to fix your produce, something that you're growing preferably. So uh, it's it's a little less formal typically, and a blog is a good place to put that curated content that I was telling you about, sharing, oh, I just read this really good book, or... Here's another site that has good information about how to control pests in your orchard. No, that's the comments section. That's just comments. Back years ago, and it was at least 12 to 15 years ago, somebody came up with this really neat piece of software that let you put your journal, a diary, online daily entries without having to create a new web page. And they called the concept web logging. So what you had was a web log and it just became blog, web blog. And it was designed, like I said, for a a daily journal and people started discovering that they could, uh, they could build a website and Use this blog format and comment on current events, and so it was. It was very well. Uh, it handled that kind of thing really well. Something happened today. Now I can I can quick create a, a post about that, and boom, there it is. I don't have to do any design work. Everything's already formatted. It's very easy to type in and, and post it. You can go back and make corrections easily. And, and it really revolutionized the online world. So a blog nowadays I, it can be everything from current events to opinions. Um, you know there's people that, that have blogs about fashion. You know I, They just are talking about fashion, talking about entertainment, uh, movie reviews. Blog is, is kind of a general term now for a it tends to be a very dynamic thing where. Um, it's, a, it's a little less planned, usually, as in, you know, if you're going to have a web page, if, if you want your website to be about how to be a gardener, you might have a whole structured section of pages, you know, first you do this, and next you do that, and next you do this. But you might also have a blog, like like we were talking about with, with Milton here, he's, he's got a homesteading project that he's doing. If he documents that, in a blog format. Today, this is what we did. Next week, we've got to start getting firewood in. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a running commentary of what's going on. It's, that's going to be fresh, new, unique, because it's his experience. And if he structures his posts properly, it's going to be relevant to these search queries, this people, things that people are searching for. And Since we're talking about blogs, I may as well just say it now. There is a resource that you should look at if you're interested at all in having an effective blog, and the site is boostblogtraffic.com. Boostblogtraffic.com. It's run by a gentleman by the name of John Morrow. John is a... I think he's a quadriplegic. He's restricted to his wheelchair, and I think about all he can do is move his head. He's richer than all of us in the room put together because of his blogging. He has to dictate his blog post using Dragon Dictate, uh, voice recognition software. He's got courses and information on that site, and anything that John Morrow says about blogging, you should pay attention because he is considered one of the foremost authorities on blogging. And much of the information on his site is free. His blog posts, he, he's constantly sending out emails notifying us about his new blog post and it's, it's the 10 stupid mistakes that you're probably making with your website kinds of stuff, but it's really, really good information a whole education just on the free information that he's got on his site so you should that's one of those sites that I'll have in the um, in the resources but I figured I may as well tell you about it now you need to look at what John's talking about and pay attention to it uh, because this type of interaction this is what creates engagement with your visitors and Google looks at how engaged are people How much are they sharing your content? Blog posts, if they're well-written and well-designed, they tend to get shared on social media. Google likes that. So it's a a very viable form of marketing that, that you should look at. Video marketing is one of the, in fact, it is the most effective form of marketing out there. It doesn't matter if you're like me, And can't stand to wait through a video, we're in the minority. Marketers, professional marketers are saying overwhelmingly that video is the one place that they get the best results. So think about what you can do with video. You do not have to have a big fancy camera like the guys from Little Light Studios that are here this week. Something like this works just fine. And we'll be talking uh, in the advanced session, we'll be talking more about video marketing, but it's easy. Your videos shouldn't be more than three to five minutes long. They should be very to the point. You should script them out so that you know what you're going to say before you turn the camera on. And it should be something that informs the visitor your site visitor, about just like a web page. You're answering a burning question. Do that and include a call to action, and you should see a lot of activity on your site. Content upgrades and opt-in bribes, these are two forms of content that I will go in more depth when we are talking about email. So uh, for the moment, all you need to know is that they are involved with the email marketing. Here's a resource that you should write down, again I'll include this in the resources, Better Life TV, Better Life Broadcasting. Are you guys familiar with with Better Life? Our executive director uh, his parents are the ones that started that and so we've got some nice connections with them and they have a resource now, Better Health TV. It's live streaming health channel and this is something that you should consider embedding on your website because people will look at it they'll see you as having something to add for lifestyle uh, issues it it can be if you integrate this into your website properly it can be an additional tool for outreach your business your website does not have to just be a business tool. It can also be an outreach tool. Uh, we consider the internet to be the largest mission field in the world right now. No. <laughs> Is it? I haven't had a chance to watch it. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I people tell me that it's excellent material, and Ed Wagner. Is his parents are the ones that started this, so he stays in close contact with them, and we've been asking them for resources for because we deal so much with churches and schools, and they're looking for information. But have a page, a lifestyle page, on your website. Give you know, give the lifestyle resources for people. Uh, if you if you have them. Sold on the lifestyle issues, they're going to come to you for the produce. They're going to have a hard time finding it in other places. Maybe I should ask them to pay me to say that. (laughs) This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org